welcome to Kingwood. It's great to have you here this morning. If you would, turn in your Bible to Exodus 33. Um, if you don't have your uh, Bible with you or uh, maybe on your uh, smart device, then uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screen as well. Just a reminder as you're turning there, tonight is our soak service. Every third Sunday night of every month, we meet uh, to praise and worship and pray. And so, uh, boy, tonight's going to be an incredible time. The most important service uh, in, our, in our monthly calendar is soak. And so it's just a time to come and seek God and pray and worship. Uh, it's, a, it's a very unique time to be together, and I want to encourage you to be here, encourage all our leaders to be here. And remember, next Sunday, our service times are changing. 9 and 10.30 will be our Sunday morning services. Exodus chapter 33. This past summer, uh, my wife and I had uh, the opportunity to do something really uh, fun. It was our 20-year wedding anniversary. And so we decided to uh, get out of town. And uh, we went to Tennessee and hung out in the mountains for a little while and had a good time. And um, it's something, it was a big deal for us because our youngest son was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes when he was four, and then our oldest one a few years later. And uh, we hadn't had a chance in eight or nine years to go away together like that because their care is intense. It requires round-the-clock care. And so it was a big deal for us. We had that opportunity and uh, had a great time. We went to this... A restaurant one night, you know, when, you, when you've been sort of locked into your family schedule and your kid's life for so long just to sit alone with nobody else there and talk, you know, you kind of just exhale for a little while and really don't stare at each other. But most of the conversation that night had to do with the previous 20 years. You know, what were your favorite memories? What are, your, what, what are the things you remember the most in the last 20 years? And, and we, we must have sat for two hours and just talked. And it was such a, um, you know, to, to relive all of those moments, all of those memories were such a, such a fun time for us. But we were also creating new memories. You know, even now we'll go, hey, do you remember that night we sat and then over Christmas we traveled through that area. So we drove our boys down there and said, hey, look, that was the restaurant that we sat at. And that window right there, we had a seat right there by that window. And. So not only were we kind of rehearsing the memories of our life, we were creating new ones. It was, a, it was a fresh experience. And I was thinking, imagine how different that, that that trip that night would have been, that conversation would have been, uh, if, if in the last 20 years we had just spent those living a faithful life to each other, but not investing in any of the relationship that we had. I mean, imagine if we'd have just spent those 20 years just being faithful. That was it. But we didn't have any time together. We didn't build relationship. We didn't experience different uh, things together. We didn't build memories together. We would, we would have had very few memories. And although we would have preserved the integrity of our marriage, that would have just, there would have been no fresh reality. There would have been no depth. There would have been no joy. It had just been dry faithfulness. And unfortunately, that's how too many people approach their relationship with God. They're married. They've had a salvation experience. They spend most of their Christianity just trying to repeat patterns they see in the Bible and live a dry, faithful existence. So I want to ask a question this morning. When's the last time you felt the ache of spiritual hunger for God in your life? 
When's the last time that you had an experience with God? When's the last time that you pursued God out of intentionality and hunger and passion and longing to be closer to Him? Last week we started a new series called Pursuit. And we talked about how Abraham in his life had a lifelong pursuit of God and how that pursuit led him to become the friend of God. Today we're going to look at that same pursuit in Moses' life. Now in Moses' life it's easy to see the divine purposes of God at work. He was rescued from the Nile River as a baby and in a little basket. And at that time all the male babies in uh, his ethnicity were being murdered. And he was raised up in Pharaoh's house as a prince. Now Moses had a strong relationship with God despite being raised in a pagan culture and in a pagan family. He, he had met with God on the mountain. He had saw the burning bush. He had heard God's voice call his soul into a divine purpose. He had watched God tell him to tell a different Pharaoh to let God's people go. Miracle after miracle was performed with Moses as God's spokesman, which finally led him to be out in front leading a million people into the promised land. A million people about the size of the metro area of Birmingham. He's leading these people. The people's gratitude quickly wore off. And when hard times came, they began to turn on Moses. The Bible tells us that these people were... Rebellious, they were stubborn, they were self-centered. And the challenge of leading these people pressed Moses to pursue God even harder. Now that's a key thought. We often talk about God has this incredible plan. And we often talk about God has you where He has you because He can do these things through you. Is it possible that God has you where He has you because there's some things He wants to do in you? And the only way He can do them in you is to have you where He has you. I think the older I get, the more I follow God, the more I believe that the work God wants to do in you is more important to Him than the work He wants to do through you. But we come to God generally mesmerized by the things that he might be able to do through us. Exodus chapter 33, the background of that chapter is something like this. Moses has just received the Ten Commandments. He's gone for 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. While he was away, the people went into rebellion. They kind of chose their own leader. They melted down all their jewelry into an idol, into a golden calf. And they're worshiping it and they're acting in wild immorality. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he saw what they were doing and he was so mad, he took those stone tablets that God had just etched in the Ten Commandments with his own finger, he cracks them over his knee or on the ground or something. I don't know if that would crush your knee. I'm not sure how that works. He broke them. Exodus 33, if you found it, 1 through 3, this is where we pick the story up. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people who brought you up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Parasites, and all the otherites, the termites. So go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, 
Now look at this. Look at this. This, this, is, the, this is the important thought in this uh, scripture. But I will not go with you. You go, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now let me give you three quick thoughts about Moses' pursuit of God and how that pursuit changed him. Here's the first thought. Moses has a problem. God had just told Moses he would not go with the Israelites into the promised land because they'd been so disobedient. Now Moses hadn't been disobedient. Think about this for a minute. He hadn't been disobedient. He hadn't done anything wrong that we know of. But the people had been disobedient. So now it was up to Moses to get them into the promised land sort of on his own. The God that had delivered them from Egypt, the God that had sent the miracles, that had sent the plagues, that had sent the famine, that had sent the frogs, that had sent all of the stuff that had parted the Red Sea, that had swallowed up Pharaoh's army, the God that had done all of that says, Now, you're on your own. Can you imagine what you're hearing? I've delivered you to this point, but I'm done. Can you imagine how Moses must have felt? He's done his best to lead, and he followed the Lord's will, and still all they do is complain and find fault and bellyache and sin. There must have been plenty of times where Moses just wanted to throw in the towel and quit and say, I'm done. You ever feel that way? You ever had stretches in your life that the more things you did right, the worse things got? And after a while, you start to think... If this is what I get for doing right, maybe I ought to do wrong. You ever had that thought? Or or just just pastors have those kind of thoughts. If this is what I get for doing right, maybe right's not the right thing. God is saying to Moses, I quit, but you can't. What? (laughs) How's that fair? God quits, but I can't? I'm not going, but you are. Moses is stuck between the rebellious people who won't do right and a God who won't let him quit. What is that about? Now, now last year I shared with you a series uh, called The Wall. And that's the place we hit in our relationship with God. And our relationship with God is deeply tested. Maybe some of you feel that way this morning. You can't go on. You can't quit. It just seems like no matter which way you turn, it's bad. You feel trapped or immobilized or caught. This is where Moses is. Moses has a problem. Now here's the second thought. Moses pursues God. Now this is critical. This is critical. This is what changed Moses' life. Rather than turning to worry or fear or some coping mechanism or, or, or drugs or alcohol or entertainment or, or just throwing himself headlong into some kind of addiction or bondage or emotional relief system, Moses turns to prayer. Moses had a heart to know and experience God. and Moses knew the nation of Israel could not meet his need. In other words, these people are complaining, they're frustrated, they're upset. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything God told me to do. Now the people have turned on me. And and he knew that the answer to his problem was not in them. And he knew that he didn't just need to go get a few leadership books and find some new leadership techniques to lead these complaining mob of a million people. Moses knew that the best cure for discouragement and disillusionment and dryness was a fresh glimpse of God. So Exodus 33, 13. Leave your Bible open to Exodus 33. We'll look at a few verses there. If you are pleased with me, underline this if you can. 
teach me your ways. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. In other words, how did Moses pursue God? He pursued God by saying, Lord, teach me your ways. Have you ever thought that some of the challenges in our lives might be here in order to break us out of our ways and teach us God's ways? To break us out of the old patterns of the old life, the old way of doing things. I'm telling you one of the greatest struggles that we have when we come to faith in Christ is we still use the methods of the old life to try to live the new life. And the new life can't be lived with old methods. The new life has to take on new ways, God's ways. In other words, we sometimes have a challenge in our life and our ways are tactics, the way that we go about problem solving, our default settings, the way we've always done it. We go about those ways and we keep running into a brick wall over and over and over and over. So we just keep doing it over and over and we wear ourselves out and we turn to God and we say, teach me your ways that I may know you. Maybe it's not always about overcoming the present challenge. Maybe it's sometimes about learning God's ways so we know Him. Maybe sometimes God puts His hand on our forehead like a little kid that's swinging his fist wildly and just says, just hang on right there. Hang on right there till you get done with that and decide that's not going to work. Now that you're done swinging your fist, why don't you come sit down with me and let me teach you how that could go different. Teach me your ways. Have you ever asked God to resolve something in your life? And as I've heard these words come out of my own mouth. You ask God to resolve something in your life in a certain way, and He resolves it in a totally different way. And I've said before, you know, I never thought it would happen that way. I never thought, I mean, that fixes it, but it's not ever the way that I thought that it would be fixed. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that was a possibility. I didn't know that was a solution. I didn't know, but boy, that really sort of does it, doesn't it? What is that? What is, what is that aha? What is that surprise? Here's the surprise. The ways that you were asking him to do it are not his ways. Proverbs says his ways are higher than our ways. Moses asked to know God's ways so that he could know God. Like a trail of clues in a murder scene that a detective comes behind and says, this plus this plus this plus this must equal this. If I can find God's ways, it will lead me to God. How does God do things? Exodus thirty-three, fifteen, and 16. Then Moses said to him, how did Moses pursue God? He pursued God in, to know God's ways. 15 and 16, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know, listen to this, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? He's pleading with God. Don't quit. Don't quit on us. What else, here's the, if you can underline this or circle it, I want you to circle, what else will distinguish Circle that word. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What really makes us different? So Moses pursues God's ways, but he also pursues God's presence. 
Moses pleads with God for his presence to go with him. Moses says, what else distinguishes me from all the other people on the earth other than your presence? What's really different about me? That is a great word for us today. In a day where knowledge is increasing and connectivity is increasing and medicine is increasing and and technology is increasing. In a day that all these things are increasing, this is a great word for us today. Can I tell you, the distinguishing characteristic of your life is not that your doctrine's right and somebody else's is wrong. It's not that you're on the right side of the cultural war. It's not that you're pro this or anti that. It's not talent. It's not education. It's not accomplishment. The distinguishing mark of your life and mine is, is God's presence on it? That's really the only thing that can distinguish you among all the other six and a half or seven billion people that live on earth. It's God's presence. That there is a fresh expression of the fruit of the Spirit bubbling over from a fresh relationship with Jesus that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and and faithfulness and self-control is bubbling up. When, uh, When my wife and I pastored in Gulfport, Mississippi, there was a there was a spiritual battle going on in that church that went on uh, for several, many months, maybe a f- couple years. And, and I would pray about it, and I would talk myself into what I ought to do about it, and then I would realize that I'd talk myself into it, and then I'd realize that wasn't right, and then I'd talk myself back out of it. And, and I couldn't get my brain wrapped around, I couldn't understand what, what it was or what to do. And one day, I can take you to the chair I was sitting in in an office. One day, God spoke to my heart, and He opened my eyes, and He revealed to me how Satan was, was what he was causing, and using how he was using that battle to tear that church down. And at that time in that church, we had a Sunday night prayer meeting just before the Sunday evening service. And we had about 15 or 20 people who would come and pray and a, 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 the floor was about this size. We had no balcony, but a room about this size, about 15, 20 people in it. And, and we were praying and I brought that insight that God had brought to me to that prayer team. And I said, look, here's, here's what I think the Lord has said to me about what's happening and let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to step in. What happened next was unbelievable and I'll never forget it as long as I live. It's an experience I will take with me to the grave. God's presence, His only way I know, everything I'm going to say to you is going to be infantile and won't actually explain what happened. But it's the best I got. When we were praying, God's presence walked in that room in a way that I had never exactly felt in my life. When that little group of 15 or 20 people, we were gathering around and praying, I, I could... I could It's like God's presence walked in that room. I've never experienced God's authority that way before. He he walked in that room. I couldn't see him, but man, I could feel a change in that room. I could sense God's authority over over that strategy of the enemy. His authority was so bold and it was so uh, powerful, it was frightening. I mean, there have been very few times in my life that I thought, I'm scared of God. But I can tell you in that moment, I was scared of God. I could feel His authority and His power and His presence in a heavy way. 
I, I, I can remember walking through the, back and forth to the altar there, praying, and, I, and this is going to sound so silly, I don't know how else to explain it. I, I, there were moments I was afraid if I opened my eyes and turned around, there'd be a 60-foot Jesus standing there, and he'd step on me. I know that sounds crazy. I don't know how else to describe it. I felt his authority and I felt his power and I felt his presence and I felt him that night God entered that church and he broke the back out of that struggle and in the weeks and months to come things began to change and the plan of the enemy started to turn in on itself and became self-destructive and that thing began to unravel and that church moved through that season and eventually into a season of peace and the last time I checked they were still at peace. Now, I'm just telling you, there's not a leadership technique or a book or, or a 12 Habits for Happy Living or anything else that can cause that. And I just want you to understand the distinguishing characteristic of your life and the distinguishing characteristic of this church is that God's presence is on it. And if God's presence isn't on it, it, it's just like everything else. When's the last time you had an experience with God's presence? When's the last time? Exodus thirty-three eighteen. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. Moses has pursued God's ways. He has pursued God's presence. Now he's pursuing God's glory. Boy, that's a good... That's a good prayer strategy, isn't it? God, teach me your ways that I may know you. God, show me your presence. Fill me with your presence. Let your presence rest on me. Lord, show me your glory. Man, that's a good, that's a good, there's some good prayer points for this week, isn't it? What's interesting about this part of Moses' prayer is it has nothing to do, the other two prayers had everything to do with the million people, the million roughnecks that Moses was supposed to be leading. This one had nothing to do with that. This is a personal prayer. Moses wants to draw closer to God, pursuing Him more and more and getting closer and closer and closer. Now, Moses has a problem. Moses pursues God. Here's the last thought. Moses pleases God. Moses pleases God. Exodus thirty-three seventeen, And the Lord said to Moses... Moses has been doing all the talking. Now God's responded. I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. God, is your name known in heaven? Does God know you? I mean, He knows you because He knows everything, but does He know you because you've been with Him? I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. God saw Moses' pursuit, and that pursuit pleased God, and God allowed Moses to see his glory when he passed by. God's presence stayed with the people as they went into the promised land. Now God has, in effect, changed his mind. Makes you feel like it was a setup all along, doesn't it? God says, now, now don't come any closer. Now don't come any closer. Don't come any closer unless you really want me. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Don't come any unless you really want me. And God's waiting for somebody to break the rules. He's waiting for somebody to say, I know what you said, but I don't think that's what you meant. I know you said you wouldn't go with us, but what I really think is you want to be with us more than anything. 
He's waiting for somebody to break the rules and press on in anyway. Moses' pursuit of God not only changed him, it changed all of Israel. I want, I want to talk to every man in this room. Let me tell you what will change your family more than anything else. It might not be the parenting or husband techniques that you learn from your family. I'm not saying that means that all are bad. Some are good. Maybe most are good. Maybe none are good. But it's not those techniques that change your family. What will change your family is for you to be on a rugged, all-out, rule-breaking pursuit of God. And that pursuit will change you and that will change your family. It will change everything. It will change your perspective. It will change your outlook. Hebrews says that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Whether we get there through challenging circumstances or spiritual curiosity or pain or blessing, we must pursue a personal relationship with God. When we do, His reward is always the same. More of Him. What better gift does God have to give? More of Him. That pursuit, that rugged, all-out, rule-breaking pursuit of God will change your life. When's the last time you had an experience with God? I didn't ask you if you were saved. I didn't ask you if you're going to heaven. I'm not asking you if you're living a moral life. I hope you are, but that doesn't give you any brownie points with God. He's not impressed. He's holy. <laughs> He's impressed when he looks in the mirror, not when he looks at us. When's the last time you had an experience with God? When's the last time you met Him? When's the last time you wanted to meet Him? I'm going to ask our worship team to come this morning. I, I think the profound thought this morning is this. For the Christian, life is not all about what God can do through you. That's important. It matters. God's given you gifts that are to be used for His kingdom and His glory. And you can use those gifts at home and at work and wherever you go. But the, but the, in, the, inner, the inner reality of life is not what can God do through you. The inner reality of life is what can God do in you. What can God do in you? What does God need to do in you? What, what, what is God trying to do in you? Maybe the circumstances, I'm not saying God causes, there are some terrible and bad and limiting and frustrating, and there are circumstances that come on our life because we live in a broken world. And I'm not for a minute saying, and neither do I want you to believe, that God does things, evil things, in order to somehow fix you inside I'm not saying that God is good and all things work together for the good of those that love God and God has a good plan and he's a good father and the word says that if we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our kids how much more will God give good gifts to his children I'm not saying that at all I am saying though what if the battle you're facing, what if the circumstances that are challenging you aren't necessarily just about overcoming the challenge? 
what if God is actually using that circumstance for a time to push you into Him, to draw you into... Look what He did with Moses. You take them. I'm not going. Really? <laughs> really? I didn't even want to lead them. Why are you going to lead me out here in the desert and I'm stuck? Now, i got to lead them. I didn't want to lead them with you, let alone without you. Today, if you're facing a challenge, facing frustrations, if you don't have an answer for it or the answers you're using aren't working, I'm going to suggest to you that you do what Moses did and rather than letting it drive you everywhere else, let it drive you to God. Job prayed a profound prayer. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though God not change the circumstance. I've had circumstances in my life I've begged God, wished God that he would change and he didn't change them. But what are you, but what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with it? You're just going to back up, go away, do something else, take another, take somebody else's ways on, take some other technique, take some other tactic. What are you going to do with it? What I'm suggesting to you is, if you will turn that thing into a pursuit of God, God will have His way. He will show His glory. He will know you by name. determination inside your spirit no matter what happens to me I will pursue him and I'm telling you that pursuit although never perfect across our lifetime changes so would you stand with me this morning and I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer this morning here's what I want to invite you to do the worship team's going to sing a song and as they sing that song, I want to ask you to give God five minutes. Five minutes. I'm just going to ask you to pursue Him for five minutes. Everybody in the room. I'm going to ask you to pursue Him, to go after Him, to long for Him, to talk to Him, to welcome Him, to invite Him, to say, Lord, I want you to fill my inner man. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, do it how you want to do it. Do what you want to do in me. I want to ask you for five minutes. I want to ask you just to pursue it. Just to go on an all-out, every rule broken pursuit of God. And, and this morning, inside that pursuit, some of you are here and you're facing frustration, you're facing challenge, you're facing limitation. And I'm saying to you, bring that thing this morning that's limiting you to prayer. Come to the prayer team. Let us agree with you in prayer. And we're going to stand in agreement with you that God's going to turn this thing on your behalf. He's going to turn this thing for His glory and your good. We want to come into agreement this morning. Like that song we sang earlier. Break every chain. There's power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break it. Break every man-made. Break every self-made. Break every frustrating limitation on my life that God has not allowed. All you're praying for is God's will. And I'm going to ask you if you have a, a need, a frustration, a challenge. Here's one other thought. If you're hungry for God, if you feel that,
that ache if you long and say, I want to have an experience with God. You can't create the experience with God. That's an experience with yourself if you create it. Right? I'm saying, you say, God, I want your presence. I'm hungry for you. Or maybe you're here in the room and you say, I want to be hungry for God. But the truth is, if I'm honest, I'm not. I've done numbed out. Can I tell you something? I've had seasons of my life like that. Where I just said, the truth is, I want to want God, but I don't want God. But I want to want Him. I know I'm supposed to. God, I I want to want You. Let me feel. Let me experience. Let me know that hunger again. Maybe that's You this morning. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Lord, this morning, we come in an all-out Break every rule, pursuit of God. We come in a hungry, passionate, longing desire for you. Teach us your ways. Fill us with your presence. Show us your glory this morning, Lord. Let your glory fill this place. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. As the worship team begins to sing. You've got a need, you've got a challenge, you've got a frustration, you've got a limit. I want you to step out right now and come to the prayer team. You're hungry or you want to be hungry. I want you to step out right now and I want you to come and find a place of worship here. Whether you need the prayer team or not, I want you to come and find a place of worship. I'm hungry. God, I'm hungry. I long for you. I want you. I want you. I want to want you. Lord, fill me this morning. Fill my heart. Fill my mind. If you're there, right there where you stand, if you just want to lift your hands and say, Lord, I want you this morning. If you just want to lift your hands and say, Lord, I come after you. I pursue you. I long for you this morning. Right where you stand, just lift your hand. Just lift your hands and say, Lord, here I am. I want you to know me by name, God. I want you to know me by name. Lord, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. Strip away everything out of my life, Lord. Strip away everything out of my life. And I want to know you, God.